Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Executive Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, on our cover this week is Young and Restless superstar Eric Braden, who talked to you about Victor taking control once again at Newman, as well as his real-life cancer battle. Now, I have met a lot of soap fans in my time, but if I encounter one who watches YNR, the first person they ask me about is him. You know, there is something about both Victor and the actor who plays him that has always resonated with the audience and his popularity has never waned. You know, while business tales on soaps are not necessarily my favorite, I am completely hooked on the behind the scenes battles at Newman and Victor working alongside Nikki for me is another bonus. You know, this is the premier super couple of Young and the Restless and they deserve some storyline love. Absolutely. Uh, and it was such a joy to get to catch up with Eric, but First, let me say to your point about how Eric Braden and Victor are just at the very peak of recognizability in the soap opera world. I was on a camping trip this summer with a group of friends and came to find out that one of the guys that I was with had been a lifelong YNR devotee and more specifically an Eric Braden and Victor devotee. And when I told him uh, the other week that I was talking to Eric for this cover story, he sent me a selfie holding up Eric's amazing autobiography, I'll Be Damned. And, you know, this is not necessarily a guy I would have pegged as a soap fan, but I think that is such a common story that Eric, as Victor Newman, transcends, you know, age and gender and class and creed, you know, he's he's just that iconic. Now, I hadn't spoken to Eric since he went public with his cancer battle. Uh, and the first question I asked him on that front was, when you were diagnosed, were you scared? And he gave me a very thoughtful answer, as he always does. Uh, another thing that I can tell you about this interview is that uh, he clearly is thrilled that Victor is returning to power at Newman. He told me that he's not a fan of the whole like semi-retired thing that Victor does from time to time, where he has one foot in the business and one foot out. Uh, he likes to be all in. And he told me that he is really having fun with the story and enjoying the work. And I definitely feel like that is translating on screen. Oh, it absolutely does. I mean, the scenes that he had this week with Amelia Heinley's Victoria were on fire. Mm -hmm. um, now, in mentioning semi-retirement, there's a story that also intrigues me on why in our sister show, Bold and Beautiful, it's with, shall we say, another mature performer in John McCook's Eric. And the overall theme of it is something not often played on soaps. And, you know, when I say not often, I actually struggle to find another example. But it's ageism. 
you know, in this story, we're seeing Eric struggle with feeling out to pasture, if you will, at Forrester, now determined to prove himself through a new fashion line. You know, but when you think about the audience watching soaps, I can imagine that this is a topic that speaks to a lot of them. What happens when you are at a business and you get to a certain age and, you know, are you, do you have the same fight you did back in the day? You know, soap storytelling is so generational. You know, your life changes as you get older. And that's what we should see reflected in these characters. And, uh, you know, John McCook already went down this road in terms of telling stories that maybe you can only tell of a certain uh, with a certain age. And it was the erectile dysfunction story that won him a lead actor Emmy in 2022. So I am so interested to see where this story will take him. Yeah. Now, another story uh, involving jockeying for control of a company that has been unfolding on daytime involves deception, both the company and the noun, on uh, General Hospital. And that story is showcasing like some more A-list veteran talent who are still at the top of their game, chief among them, Lynn Herring, Lucy, and Jane Elliott, Tracy. And for a very special two-episode run that I certainly hope will turn into more appearances. It will also involve one of my all-time favorite actresses, Cassie DePaiva, returning as her One Life to Live alter, Blair Kramer. And as, as excited as I am to have her back on GH, I am even more excited that she is our guest today and we'll get to hear about all of it from her directly. Oh, me too. I mean, I feel like her recent appearance as Days of Our Lives is Eve just wet my appetite for wanting more Cassie. So let's get her on the line and see how it's all going. Hi, Cassie. Hey there. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm excited. <laughs> so are we. I'm excited to, 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 you know, I'm just impatiently waiting for Friday. <laughs> yeah. Sounds bad. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, well, on that note, we're very excited to hear about your return trip to GH, but let's start first with the fact that we recently saw you pop up on Days reprising the role of Eve Donovan. So tell us how your return to Salem came about. That was as crazy as the General Hospital invitation back to the canvas. Um, I was just sitting, having a glass of wine, watching it snow, I think in December. And, um, I look over at my phone, it's buzzing and it's Marnie from days of our lives. And I'm going, Oh, so she goes, well, I got to quit. We talked for about 10 minutes and I'm like, okay, now why did you really call me <laughs> as well? There's a, um, they'd like to bring you back for a, a small arc, but it could be more, Blah, 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 blah. Would you be interested? And I said, yeah. She goes, she, had, she said, you haven't even heard my pitch yet. And I said, I don't have to. I'm sitting here watching it snow in, in New York. I, I think I can enjoy some days of sunshine out in California. <laughs> so that's kind of how that happened. And because they are so uh, far ahead, six months later or so, it aired in August. And poor Eve, she um, was deemed criminally insane. Like, what can I say? And she <laughs> <laughs> well, when you left um, days the last time and Eve was sent to Bayview, did you feel like that was it? Or did you feel like the door was, you know, left open for a return of some kind? Well, I didn't know where Eve had gone when I left. I was just carted off out of the uh, police station. So I assumed I went to prison based on the fact that I you know, did some kind of, I blew up a wedding, I kidnapped somebody, I, you know, some really wackadoodle things. Um, but then to find out that I was deemed criminally insane, I'm like, oh, okay. But within that one script, we did hear how she's been healed. 
parentheses, and she has done a lot of therapy, and she is on her way out the door, hopefully to start her music career, and maybe she'll show up, show up back in Salem, and I don't know, do her, do her, do her do. <laughs> Never know. Well, what was it like to be back? Who did you see this time around? Well, it was interesting. You know, it, they were still under the COVID protocol, so we were masked up. Um, and I always say, anytime you go back on a show or you come in as a one day wonder on a show, it's like trying to jump on a moving train because those shows are so well oiled. And we're, if you're a contract player and if you're on regularly, you're on that train. So you don't really notice how crazy fast it is, but you go in for a day, you kind of go, Oh Lordy, I forgot. I, I'm I got fear sting all over me. I'm sweating. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't breathe. What did I just say? And I get in the car. The next, you know, afterwards I go, what did I just do? You know. So it's it's crazy. It's fun. I was thrilled to be back there. Um, I saw a lot of the production staff. I didn't see a lot of cast members that I had worked with prior. Um, but it was nice to work with Steve Burton, and he was just as lovely as he could possibly be. And um, I'm sure he was going, oh, my gosh, I've got to work with this nutcase. But anyway, it was it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> I highly, highly doubt that that was his thought bubble. Um, so you had briefly, like, overlapped with Steve on Daryl Hothfield, but I don't think really worked together. Um, but... You had, I assume, like met over the years just from both being part of the ABC daytime family. Yeah, you know, we had met at some Super Soap weekends, which were fabulous times for the fans as well as the stars of the ABC lineup. Um, so I had met him there. And I do believe my first time in Port Charles, maybe not the first time, but the second time, there was an incident where we were in a courtroom scene with Sonny and, you know, I was like, oh, oh my gosh, I'm working with these big stars on General Hospital. You know, it's, it's so weird to, you know, you don't think of yourself as one of them until you're there and you're going to go, oh, and you still don't, you're still kind of, like, kind of, kind of oh my gosh, I'm a fan, you know, so it's, 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 it's interesting. Now, back in 2014, and I can't believe it's been nine years, but when you first came to Days of Our Lives, Victor Kyriakis memorably opened the door to Eve and said, anyone order a hooker? So that line was delivered as only John Aniston could deliver it. But what do you remember about working with him and just being around him? You know, he's so iconic and legendary. Um, I just remember thinking, oh, my gosh, don't mess up. And I did. He came to the door and said the line. I was like, oh, oh, oh. we had to do it twice because I was like, oh, what? you're so good. I couldn't. You know, he, he made me laugh. So, um, yeah, he's brilliant. He he was a delight to work with. Um, he reminded me a lot. He's pretty much my, my father's age and my daddy passed away on May 24th. So when I was on set working with him, it just felt very familiar to me because of his age and his, um, his personality, very dry, kind of like my dad. Very, we're both very, very sorry for your last copy. Oh, thank you. Um, all right. So you, you, you do this episode of days. I hope that they were sunny days when you, when you were, you were uh, in, in LA, um, months passed, you know, because of how, uh, ahead the show is, as, as you said, and then kind of right around the time this episode finally comes out, 
General Hospital surprises you by making an overture of interest to come back to that show where you had guested uh, several times in 2012 to reprise the role of Blair. So tell us where you were and how you found out that General Hospital was interested in you as well. Well, it was a kind of an overlap. So when I did my interview for the Days of Our Lives um, story on Soap Opera Digest, I had already gotten a call from General Hospital or a text from Frank saying, I've got a question for you. You might be, would you be interested in whatever? Let me know. And I was like texting him back. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't say anything. And then he had, then he called me and said, well, there's been a, there's a writer's strike. So we're going to have to push this back. Hopefully the network will okay this story. He didn't tell me what it was. And I was assuming it was going to be with Todd. So I went like, oh, okay, okay. And then um, then when the writer strike happened, I thought, well, it's not going to happen. And I was okay about that because it's all a blessing. And it's all a gift, you know, so I just appreciate any little bit. So I, you know, a couple of weeks later, he called me and said, it's on and it's just a short arc, two days. Would you still want to do it? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, you're going to be working with Jane Elliott and Michael Knight. And I went like, touchdown. I love both of them. Fantastic actors. Of course, Michael and I got to work with each other on the What If episode for SoapNet, which was fantastic and fun. And he's brilliant. And Jane Elliott is one of the most lovely people in all the world. So I'm so happy I got to work with her. Mm -hmm. I want to hear more uh, about, obviously, working with both of those people, but I have to ask, uh, you had told me that one of the times that you spoke with Frank was actually while you were driving from home in Kentucky to home in New York from yeah. that visit with your family and that you stopped in in Ohio to catch up with another family member, albeit a fictional family member, Robin Strasser, who was your Aunt Dorian on One Life to Live. I want to know what these reunions are like. Do you stay overnight? Do you just go grab a bite? What What's it like when you, when Blair and Dorian descend on Ohio. Okay, so Cleveland is pretty much smack dab right between my driving. I drive because it's easier. I've got my 12-year-old German Shepherd who is deaf and old like 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 her mom. So um, I stop in to see Robin. I don't know. It all depends on what time it is, but it doesn't matter what time it is as far as she's concerned because she has a beautiful layout of food, cheese, breads, homemade soups. And I mean, it's like, oh my gosh. And she has the most beautiful house up in um, Shaker Heights. And I have spent so much time with her because I travel like every six weeks down to visit my mom. And I stop in and I see her and I love her to death. And she has been, she's such a champion of me still being Blair. And, you know, she's, she's, she's a, she is family. She's truly, truly, truly family. And, you know, I don't get a one text about Blair. I get two texts about Blair. And then can you bring Dorian too? It's like, okay, <laughs> you know, so. That's awesome. Um, so now you mentioned that you thought you would be working with Roger Howarth, who plays Austin, but of course, formerly played Blair's husband many times over, Todd. Yes. Um, how did you feel when you found out you would not be working together this time around? Well, I just um, thought about my fans more than anything because I thought, uh-oh, well, this is going to be interesting because they're not going to like that because the last time that they saw these two people on canvas, it was in a very sad goodbye on the Prospect Park 
reboot where he had to leave based on keeping the family safe. So I just justified it like, okay, well, I'm going back to Port Charles and I am an ex-wife of someone. So obviously Todd is presumed dead somewhere. And I've just gone and hooked up with somebody who had the money and, you know, do what I got to do, take care of myself. And, you know, the minute that Todd shows his face again, I'm, she'll be back in his arms. That's that's my fake reality. <laughs> so it, it is my fake reality as well. And, I know. I know. <laughs> and let's just, let's just assume the second One Life reboot, that's what we have to look forward okay. to. Okay. <laughs> Um, so, uh, as you said, you felt like you scored a touchdown upon hearing you'd be working with Jane and with Michael E. Knight, both of whom you've known for many years. Can you tell us the really amazing story of how your friendship with Jane kicked off when you met her for the first time? Yeah, Jane, I'd always known her work and I know she's worked on One Life to Live and she's worked on various shows. Um, but we were we were invited to a Fourth of July party at Gary Warner, who wrote all those uh, coffee table books for the All My Children and One Like to Live books. And so Jimmy and I were definitely friends with with Gary, and we had, I just found out that our son was deaf, and so I get you know I'm trying to think. JQ's 26. We found out. So this was 25 years ago, and. Of course, I was beside myself, not knowing how to be a parent to a deaf child and barely how to be a parent. Um, and she just grabbed my face and just said, you you know that JQ chose you to be his mom. And I just was like tears going, oh, my gosh. She Her words hit home and was, they were so powerful and I will never forget it. And I will love her till the day that I died because of that. Did you talk about it this time around? Do you? Do oh, yeah. You oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And she has, she has, you know, she's been on a journey as well with uh, a child with special needs. And I think anybody that, any parent, no matter what the issue is, if you have a child that just is, you know, needs a little bit of help, extra love, support along the way, you know, as a parent, you feel all that as well. So it's always nice to have somebody that gives you that extra support and love along the way. And, and Jane was one of them. I love that. Uh, now you mentioned Michael, um, Michael Knight, who played Tad. You did that what if with him, but were there any other interactions you had? What did you know about him? How did you sort of approach working with him? Well, Michael Knight was married to Catherine Hicklin for many years. So they are both amazing human beings. They um, sponsored an event every Christmas for needy families and children at a, um, at, a, at a place in the Upper West Side where they bought we bought Christmas gifts and um, just helped families in need. And they invited some soap stars to to come be there to to give the gifts, to help feed the kids and the, basically also to be with the moms. And so I, that's also how I got to know him because I thought it was so amazing how they opened their heart and their lives to that um, fundraising project. Um, and who doesn't know Michael Knight from being Tad the Cat? I mean, gosh, he was he was he was a big deal. And, you know, he and Jimmy, I mean, Michael started definitely before Jimmy did, but he and Jimmy back in the day of soaps, you know, when they were like, you know, ABC lineup was the strongest in daytime. 
those two guys were crazy popular. I mean, crazy popular. So I ended up marrying one and now I'm an ex-wife of another on the fake show. So there you go. Win, win. <laughs> Touchdown. <laughs> Twice blessed, I think they call that. Yes. Um, oh, can I okay. say something though? Yes, of course. Today, I just want to wish Roger Howard a happy birthday. Today's his birthday. Yes, it yeah. is. Indeed. Happy birthday to Roger Howard. There you go. Shout it out. Um, okay, so one thing that I thought was really nifty about the fact that um, when we meet Blair again, she has this connections to the this connection to the cosmetics industry via the Deceptor because. Mm-hmm. I very well remember back in the day that Blair had a cosmetics company called Melador. And I always felt like that was the career that fit her best, you know, of all the professions that she had. And that name came about from my aunts, Melanie, my mom, Addie and Dorian. And that's how that the name of Melador came about. And yeah, I thought the cosmetic connection was fantastic you know, Blair has had so, you know, she all of a sudden she became an editor of The Sun and did things with Todd. Um, and she had her jewelry line as well. But the cosmetic uh, connection and now the connection with Lucy, it's it's to me, I've read these two scripts. I'm like, well, I definitely got to be coming back. This is too great, too delicious to let let this slide. We got to We have we need to have a little bit more. um interaction because I don't really have any uh, interaction with Lucy, but I'm a, definitely aware of her. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm grinning from ear to ear just because <laughs> Blair Kramer and Lucy Coe, two of the, you know, most auspicious of soap troublemakers, definitely to see them together would be such a joy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. it, it's fun to see, um, you know, the play being the ex-wife. And of course, it'll be very clear that I think I've been paying him 50 uh, thousand a month. I mean, don't we all wish we could get fifty thousand a month from somebody? Um, but it's um, it, it'll be interesting just to see if there is a fallout or if there is a follow up. But you know, it's it's totally out of my hands. Uh, so, in terms of the whirlwind of a time you had at the set, you got to LA, you went in for a fitting. Um, how many Blair esque clothing options did you have to choose from? And do you feel the show nailed your look? Well, Sean is brilliant. I mean, he is so brilliant. He's like, oh, and I walk in there and I'm not joking. He had, I would say, at least 40 things pulled for me. And I'm like going, I'm only here for one episode. I mean, for one day, two episodes. And he goes, I know, but we got to get you looking really Blair. Because I know Susan Gammy's going to be watching. And, you know, that's the costume designer from One Life to Live. So, she tried on a couple of things, um, and what we ended up with, I felt, was the strongest, the strongest Blairism that was there, Blairian, very Blairian, um, because it was, I chose, he asked me what I thought, I said, I think we should go with white, because that's kind of her, she's always wore, always wore a lot of black and white, and oh my gosh, I they squeezed my tush into a little dress about I mean I mean it's like okay I can't I sound a little high because it's like right over here but it was and then the the hardest part is to be back in heels you know I've been I've been barefoot all summer and I wear sneakers all the time or boots or whatever up here in the Catskills but I thought okay they're going to do a slow pan on my feet and I have to walk and people are going to go 
you know, it's like, oh my gosh. So if you see me wobbling, well, it's not because I've had any alcohol. It's just, it's, I can barely walk in heels. (laughs) I, I honestly think that is something we need to talk about more. How all these people are in these power heels all day long, strutting across the Metro court or, or, you know, across Horton square or whatever. And it distracts me sometimes because I'm so inept. Stephanie is an amazing heel walker. So, well, and you know, it's not, you, you don't just wear like a two inch heel. They put you in three and a half inch spikes and I'm tall anyway. And if, you know, it's like, a, I'm like a tree. It's like, okay, I'm going, I'm going. <laughs> I just want to be careful. And it's just, you hold your body different when you, or differently when you, when you wear heels. I can remember back in the day when Gary Tomlin actually was producing One Life to Live. And he had put me uh, together with Larry Law, who played Sam. And I was taller than him in real life. And he made me, he said, well, you have to wear flats. I said, Gary, Blair can't be a bitch in flats. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like, oh my gosh. And it's it's so amazing, you know, just getting back to um, Sean dressing me for General Hospital or, you know, just the clothing really seals the deal for me. When I become Blair, it's, it's, it's the hair, the makeup and the clothing, the heels, the accessories. And that's when I know that I am in a groove. And Richard Bloor was the same way, who is a brilliant designer um, over at Days of Our Lives. He, you know, Blair, Eve always wore things just a little bit too tight um, because she's a little tacky. But Blair, she always wore everything just right. And uh, um, I love that. I love that. I do too. They are both yeah. amazingly talented men mm-hmm. and also just really. great men. Um, now, I know you've been doing it for so many years, but do you still get nervous? So like the day you came in to shoot, were you nervous? Yes, I get so nervous and so anxious. I was glad that I had the costume fitting the day before, because I, I was just, I don't know what it is. I, I think the older I get, the more anxious I get, or I have my coping mechanisms are not as strong. And it's, it's not that I know that I can't do it because I know that I can, I did it for years and years and years. It's just a matter of trusting, trusting yourself again with that amount of material, because I truly have to just take it one scene at a time. Um, it was interesting. Jane Elliott and I talked about how our process and how we work. And we I, we realized that we, we work very similarly. We both have to highlight our scripts in hot pink. We both have to say our, read our scripts at least three times, each scene three times to get it. And then when we run lines, we have to run them three times and then we move on to the next scene. But it's, it's like, oh my gosh, are we clones? I'd like to be your clone, but... <laughs> All right. So you discovered you have this similarity in process with Jane from Running Lines with her. What did you learn about Michael E. Knight's process from Running Lines with him? Well, there are two things that I said in his dressing room and um, we start running lines and he's kind of got this accent. And I'm like, Michael, are you making fun of me? He goes, what? He goes, you sound like you're like Southern. He goes, my character is Southern. I went, Oh, okay. I thought maybe you were making fun of me going, well, whatever. It's like, oh my gosh. So anyway, we continue to run our lines, but I realized very quickly that Michael Knight knows everybody's lines. 
he knows his lines as well as yours. So I'm running it. And then the fact that you know somebody already knows your line, you're going to go, oh my gosh, you really have to be word perfect. Or otherwise, in his mind, he's probably making judgments. Um, but it was interesting. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a he's a brilliant actor. He's a great reactor, but he definitely he 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 knows his stuff and he knows mine too. So there you go. That's so impressive. You know, just the way mm-hmm. people's minds works work in terms of learning these lines because it is you know an incredible task. Um, so you're there for a day doing two episodes. Talk us through what that day was like for you. Like how did it how did it go? Well, I had diarrhea the day before, and uh, no, I'm joking. I was nervous the day before. I thank the good Lord. I felt calm and steady uh, when I arrived. Um, got into costume and you're just trying to figure out getting your hair and makeup and being ready on set when they call you because they do it a little differently on this show than they do over at Days of Our Lives and even at One Life to Live. Um, But I wanted to make because the scenes were back to back was two episodes back to back and I wanted to make sure that there was time to run both shows and get it down and have that natural camaraderie that you you have so it didn't seem stilted um but it happens so fast and I didn't see Frank the first day um that I went in for my costume fitting um and I didn't see him until I was already beginning my tape day and so he comes up on the set it's like and it's you know seeing my one life to live peeps it's like just revisiting family I mean it's um there is a, a you know a definitely understanding and connection that I can't even explain. It's it's amazing. And then I hadn't seen Roger and I'm he had been called up there, but they take a 1030 break for 15 minutes. And I had been on set working. I was almost finished with my scenes with Jane. And he's walking by and he looks over at me and I went, gave him a wave and he grabbed, you know, he patted his heart and I patted mine. And so he went on his way to to do his dry block. And uh, um, then we he came over and we hugged. I think we took a picture and that was it. And then after I finished, I took a deep breath, changed my clothes, took care of all the business things you have to deal with for contracts and all that kind of stuff up in the business section, which they were very helpful. And then I sat down and I talked with Frank, which was nice for about 20 minutes. And he says, you know, I've got to get back to work. And I said, okay, I just want to see you a minute, but it was wonderful. And he was, he's, he's done a fabulous job with that show. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to do what he does day in and day out when his life is on both coasts. And I can, I can totally relate to that. It's, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. And now another one life to live reunion that you mentioned um, is Gary Tomlin who directed one of your episodes, I think the scenes with, um, with Michael and had been your boss at one life. And you and I, uh, were speaking, uh, before about how many groundbreaking and innovative things he did on, on that show. And I think one of the things that fans remember most vividly from his time on that show was the live week and the incredible task that you had and that you hit a freaking home run with people still talk about the incredible performance that you gave live when Blair discovered that Todd had lied to her about the death of her baby. Do you get hives when I bring that up? Does, I mean, did, did you have yeah. memories of the pressure? Yeah. Tell us 
what, yeah. what that was like for you? Well, you know, Gary was always just kind of like, oh, we're going to do animated show. Oh, we're going to trade places. Oh, we're going to do a musical. Oh, we're going to do this. Oh, we're going to go live. Is it stop? Wait a minute. <laughs> what? And I said, okay, well, I'm going to take vacation. So <laughs> I'm, I, I, I cannot do this. This is, I, you know, it takes everything I can not to be nervous, just in five, four, three, two, one, go live, forget about it. So I just begged him, I said, please, can I just not do it? Please, 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 please. He goes, well, you got to do, you know, he says, no. And I said, okay. So just, I said, but then don't write me very much. Okay. Just, just, just a little stuff. I'll just walk through, you know, say hello and then walk out. He goes, uh, no. And I'm like, oh no. So I think, I think we got the scripts a week in advance. Well, this, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm sleeping with it. I'm <laughs> eating it for breakfast. I'm doing whatever I can. And Jimmy and I both had crazy stuff that live week. He was working with Eileen Kristen on some funny, his character was drunk. It was very funny. Um, my stuff was very serious. Um, and they were beautifully written scenes. And it was definitely the culmination of a, a big story arc and I was scared that I wouldn't that I would just you know stop thinking and then not be able to to do it I'm thinking well if this happens I guess I could just walk off I'll just go upstairs say I'm going to the bathroom goodbye (laughs) (laughs) I hear I hear the baby calling Um, yeah I had to work with the baby during that time it's like really guys really what if I drop it But it was crazy, but it was probably one of the most exciting times on the set for me because afterwards, what an accomplishment. It just, what an accomplishment for the show. I mean, we did a remotes during that time. I think Hillary and Kamar were out in Central Park. It was just, it was just amazing the huge feat that they pulled off. Um, And I remember that last scene where I collapse on the stairway. I guess Blair collapsed on the stairway when she tells Todd to get out and just sobbed that the whole, they cut in the whole floor because everybody's on the floor working, just applauded and hooped and hollered. It was just like doing like, you know, a live show. It was, it was, it was beautiful. And I will, I'll never forget that. And that was a thousand years ago. So it was great. Would I want to do it again? Probably not. <laughs> but that is what's crazy to think about. It was 2002. I mean, this is, you know, yeah, over it 20 was years ago. Right. Like it's nuts. Now, as as much as it was cr- a crazy day and hectic and moved fast, you know, what did it feel like to be Blair again? Right. You know, Blair's just, a, it, it. she's so different from Eve, other than the bra size and the shoe size. They're, you know, they're, they're, that's the only thing that they have in common. Um, they both have a wicked sense of humor, but Blair is, a, you know, she's she's like the ultimate Barbie. She's she can do anything, and that's what I I loved playing her. I loved um, I loved her journey, and I think that's why she is so so loved even now. The fan base, you know, women, you know, she should pull pull yourself up by your bootstraps, kind of girl make the best of what you have been given. And she didn't, she didn't take any crap from anybody, especially Todd, but of course she does. Cause she ends up going back to him. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, did it, did it feel to you like 
the show captured her voice well, because obviously this is a character that had, you know, been established over many years and many different writers had a hand in shaping her. But in terms of her general hospital existence, she's still a little bit of a, of a blank canvas. Well, I think that's what's interesting. And that's why I feel like there's a lot more to be said. Um, there's a lot more opportunity to expose and develop because there's 10 years of, uh, uh, you know, a time span that a lot can happen. I mean, I think about my life in the last 10 years, my Lord, I've, you know, I've battled cancer and I mean, there's just crazy things. Um, so I, you know, I, there was some type, we did make a, a little bit of a reference to Jack and to Sam but there was no mention of Star. There's no mention of Todd. And I did mention my crazy family that, you know, we, she was talking about the Quartermains being crazy. I'm like, oh, really? I'll tell you about crazy. It can't be worse than that. I thought, oh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so it was fun. Um, and then the working with Michael, when we sat down to run our lines, I, you know, I wanted to ask him, I said, do you think that these two people really liked each other? Are we what was what what because I want to you know you want to feel connected, and so we both decided that we definitely had a good marriage, but it didn't work out. And oh, so there's another little one life to live dig. I guess he caught me in bed with someone, and I'm not going to tell you what it is who it was, but somebody on the canvas of one life to live that wasn't Todd. Spoiler alert! It'll be fun. Don't tell us. Um, now, clearly, GH is progressing the ongoing story of Tracy and Lucy and Martin and deception by this Blair reveal. So the story is far from over. Do you feel like the door is left open for more appearances by Blair? And would you be open to that? I would definitely be open. And I do believe that there is more opportunity and more story to be told. Um, gosh, it was so funny. It was. It's very wordy these scenes because it's me, you know, being in your face to, and I want to call him Tad, in your face with Martin um, about deception and the deceptor. And blah, blah, blah. it's like, oh my gosh, is it deception or is it deceptor? And, you know, who, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> trying to get all these words right. Um, but getting back, I also want to talk about Gary Tomlin because I didn't get, I don't get to toot his horn. That he directed my scenes with Michael Knight. And Gary is such a precise director. He makes me nervous. He made me nervous when he was a producer as well. Um, there's something about him that I just don't want to disappoint him. And I feel like this is me. This is my insecurities. I always feel like I disappoint him. Like, I don't know why. But I can tell you right now, he's the reason I I was Eve. He was, you know, he was writing over at Days. He's probably the reason I came to GH. I mean, I'm sure he and Frank maybe had a conversation, but um, Gary has always been a champion of mine. And I um, I will, will never forget him. And I will always be appreciative of the love he's thrown my way. And so will I. <laughs> as, as someone who's always, always happy to have a Cassie DePaiva sighting on my, on my television. Um, well, let's get into your life away from daytime drama a little bit. So you moved out of the city full time somewhat recently, right? And are living more of a, of a country life. So tell us about that transition. Well, I'm definitely a country girl. New York City, you know, Jimmy always jokes and says, I'm the only person New York has not changed. And that's the truth. I, you know, I, I go, well, I can take it or leave it. 
and obviously I left it. Um, I did not. I loved working there. I loved being. I loved that life that I had, but not working in New York City just wasn't conducive to my happiness. I'm definitely an outdoor kind of girl. I um I like to play house. I like to garden. We have 27 acres up here in the Catskills, so we're stacking wood. We're cutting the yard. I mean, you know, I am definitely a country girl. And people go, well, don't you have somebody clean your house? I go, well, no, I do it myself. Don't you have somebody mow yard? No, I do it myself. Who's going to stack your wood? Well, that'll be me. I threw my back out last week. So got a huge pile of wood. I'll send you a picture of the wood. Um, yeah, I, I, I love my country life. I love my professional life. If I could work on a soap opera in Manhattan, I would do it every day. Um, unfortunately, all the all the stories are out on the West Coast, and I did that off and on for the last eight years, and um, I enjoyed it, and it worked out. It wasn't ideal, but it was doable. Um, but I, doggone it, I wish they would reboot One Life to Live in Manhattan. <laughs> we so could just I. shoot it in your all's place. There you go. There we go. Um, and tell us how your lovely husband, James DePiva, a.k.a. One Life's Max, and GH's Dr. Bench is doing. Good. He has rented an excavator for the month of September, so he is digging trenches and playing in the dirt. Um, he built me a woodshed this uh, fall. Um, what else? You know, we've just, we're living our best life, and I'm so grateful for the endurance of our our love and you know we've been together 28 almost been to, we've been married 27 years we've been together a little bit over that but um yeah i'm 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 a lucky lucky girl i mean it's marriage is hard um anybody can tell you that but we make the best of it and we you know we're just direct like what do you want i mean he called like one minute before this started and he goes what are you doing i said jimmy i'm getting ready to do this podcast i told you he goes oh yeah 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 okay i forgot uh let me know when you're done because i'm sure he wants me to help move a log or something i don't know <laughs> like whatever i'll put my boots on i'll be down there in a minute <laughs> I, I love the juxtaposition. Now, um, I have to say your husband worked, you know, very closely with the late Andrea Evans at the start of his One Life to Live career. And then you overlapped with her toward the end of the show. The Blair Tina discord, if you will, was very long running over the over the whole time that you were there. Um, but what are your memories of working with Andrea? Well, Andrea, I remember watching her back before I even started on One Life to Live. She's iconic. Um, I do remember watching a scene where she had slept with Clint and she gets out of their lovemaking situation and she's got pantyhose on. I'm like, well, well, how can you do that? I guess that was back in the eighties, you know, when you didn't, God forbid, you didn't go anywhere without pantyhose on. (laughs) She's got pantyhose on. I go, well, obviously something, nothing happened, (laughs) (laughs) but she was lovely and she was loved. She was definitely loved. And what a, you know, she really, she made Tina. And of course, I think I worked with Krista Tesro playing Tina. Um, I mean, there have been a couple of Tinas along the line, but Andrea was it as far as I think the One Life to Live legacy goes. Mm-hmm. Um, now, other than Robin Strasser, of course, who else are you in touch with from the daytime world? Well, from the whole daytime world, I'm definitely Wally Kurth. Wally and I 
uh, got this little film called Rare as Red Hair um, that's playing on a lot of film festivals, festivals right now. And I adore him and I feel so lucky that I get to got to work with him. I do believe that that was a missed opportunity because I think we would have made a really good pair. <laughs> um, so I, I, I text him periodically talking about the movie and, what, and whatnot. But um, Hillary, I speak with Tuck Watkins. I speak with um, I know when it, once I say I don't I can't remember, then I'll go, oh, I should have said this person, this person, this person. Krista. What, if, what, is, what about the recently engaged Kristen Alderson? I definitely just got a text from her. She sent me a picture just yesterday. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Can you imagine what a great story would it be? If Blair and Star and we could just have us having lunch one day, just one little episode, you know, and then Dorian walking in. What are you girls doing? What? You know, be great. Love that. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be all for it, obviously. Yes. Um, now, as you mentioned, you, um, had a battle with leukemia. Can you give us an update on your health? I'm good. I'm healthy. Knock on wood. Um, yes, I was diagnosed um, over the 4th of July of 2016 with acute myeloid leukemia. I had just come back as Eve. Um, and it was crazy. I mean, it was just a very surreal moment. I um, was up here. How Days of Our Lives worked at back then was you worked three weeks and you, you were off a week. So on those off weeks, I flew back to New York and I was going, I went to a country um, jamboree up at Hunter Mountain and I'm sitting on chairlift and I'm like sitting like, cause we're four breasts and I'm sitting here like this and I feel under my arm. I go, that's weird. I had uh, felt two knots. So I thought, hmm, they weren't painful. Was I, you know, I didn't feel bad, I, nothing. And so I had to go back the next day to California, but I called and set up an appointment with my doctor and said, okay, um, coming back for the 4th of July, can you fit me in? Because I feel I've got these little knots. I just want to make sure everything's okay. Well, did a biopsy and the you know rest is history. It was not breast cancer, yay for me but it was acute myeloid leukemia. But I did get breast cancer a year later. <laughs> I laugh and like, can you believe it? Um, but I had a lumpectomy and everything was clear. So I, right now, as it stands, I'm cancer-free and happy and um, God is good and life is good and I'm grateful. Well, that's so great to hear. I'm so happy. I, I will never forget my conversation with you, Stephanie. I'm late up at the hospital and I think I, cause I waited, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't going to die, you know, before I let fans know, I wanted to know what was going on. But I remember, I think your mother had just passed mm -hmm. from breast cancer and you were so lovely and um, supportive and kind. I will never forget that conversation. So I appreciate it. Really Thank do. you so much. Um, it's a memorable conversation for me for many reasons, but also just the fact that you opened up about it. You know, we well, I, think, I think it was one of those things I had just gotten up and I, I was explaining how chemo is just so awful for your body and how it's, it's not day to day, it's minute to minute. You know, you think, okay, I'm going to be good. And then you get up and all of a sudden you just, you, your body eliminates or your body, I mean, it's just, it was, or you faint or you throw up and it's just yucky. 
Um, when you just think I'm never, this is never going to end. And then it, it does. And you just, then you go, did I go through that? I cannot believe it. And that's kind of where I am now. It's like, I can't believe the journey, but, um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Well, we can see you, but no one else can. And you look beyond fantastic today. So just old, (laughs) not at all. You have stopped time. Stop it. Um, well, give us an update on the rest of your family. How is your son, JQ? JQ is good. He's still up in Rochester. He finished, got his, um, industrial design degree a couple of years ago during COVID, which is just sucks for that generation. Um, but I'm hoping he's going to come home next week and help me stack wood. <laughs> Fingers, <laughs> crossed. Fingers crossed here, but you know, um, he's good. And uh, my stepdaughter, Dreema is great. She's living in Brooklyn and she's, her fiance is a chef in Manhattan. So whenever we see him, I know I gained 10 pounds. It's always wonderful. So it's, it's great. <laughs> he's happy and um, I just don't get to see them enough. Well, something that is remarkable, Cassie, is that this year actually marks the 30th anniversary of your One Life to Live debut. Isn't that even, crazy? It is crazy. Can you even like wrap your mind around that? No, because there are, there are four and a half years that I was on The Guiding Light. So there's even more time attached to my daytime um, longevity, I guess. Um, but I did receive today a clock from a group of the diehard Blair, Todd and Blair fans uh, celebrating 30 years of timeless talent. I went like, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, got a lot of time on my hands now, but um, it was beautiful. Really nice. They uh, sent me a bottle of wine, a wine glass, uh, a general hospital beer koozie. I guess they kind of know what I like to do. And that's drink. Um <laughs> <laughs> but the clock was really sweet. Very sweet. I'm 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 very lucky. And it is because of those tremendous fans that One Life to Live established that I'm sure helped, you know, launch me over to days and brought me back to Port Charles, even if it is just for two days. Mm-hmm. Well, it's amazing, though, when you think about the ability of people to like watch YouTube or like catch up on old episodes that they might have missed the first time around, that it feels very fresh in some ways for some fans who, you know, might have just like had Todd and Blair or Blair herself enter their lives. You know, what does it mean to you that there is this passion for this character, you know, so many years after you began playing her and stopped playing her? Well, I, too, am a Todd and Blair fan. And, you know, when the, the show ended... You know, I went down a rabbit hole one night watching YouTube videos of Todd and Blair, and it was just like, oh, my gosh, these guys are so interesting. You know, they weren't just typical talk to each other in your face, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there was so much, so many layers of whether deception, love, pain, anger, uh, betrayal. But these two broken souls were just it, it, it was it was great. It was great. And, it, you know, both of my Todd's, Trevor St. John was fabulous. You know, he was our our pairing was written differently. The writing team had us more combative. And I don't think it was portrayed or we showed the underlying love, the constant never ending love between Todd and Blair. You know, it was um, you know, he did a, such a phenomenal job with when he was going to be sent to the death, um, what was it? What's it called? Yeah, the electric chair, the death, the, yeah, the electric chamber. chair. Then, the, yeah, that, yeah, it was ter- that was 
but it was like so disturbing to watch. He did such a beautiful job, but I enjoyed working with him. He was so funny and he made crazy choices that you just kind of went, okay, we're going with that. All right. You know, and, um, and I, you know, I loved the beginnings of Todd and Blair and I especially loved the ending of Todd and Blair. I mean, Roger and I have, um, and I always said this, we say it best when we say nothing at all. We're like that Keith Whitley song. So it's, uh, um, it, it's interesting. Ah, well, you have certainly made a mark on all of the shows that you've been on, Guiding Light included. You know, I absolutely was a Chelsea Reardon fan. But can you reflect a little bit, uh, I guess, as we're marking the 30th anniversary of it, on how you feel like your life changed personally and professionally when One Life entered it? Well, it was interesting. You know, when I joined, right before I joined the cast of One Life to Live, I was married to another person in real life. Um, life was not, my marriage was not good. And um, got this opportunity. Linda Gottlieb cast me. And I had left, I'd shot Guiding Light, gone out to Los Angeles for two years. And I'd actually auditioned for Another World and didn't get that during that two year arc. Um, but got one life to live. So I thought, okay, well, this is actually, I think I was 33, maybe. And I thought, well, this is an opportunity for me to really reboot myself, start start over and figure things out and really put my roots down in New York City, which I always felt like it was temporary because I always felt like I was LA bound because of my music and things that I did even before The Guiding Light. Um, so that was life changing. And then to be a part of a cast that, I mean, Guiding Light was also very family oriented and um, very tight knit group of people. But, you know, I guess maybe, you know, being a part of the Kramer family, the Kramer girls and the uh, Kramer women. And then, you know, by, when I first came on the show, I was hooked up with Max. So, you know, I'm like, well, he's cute. You know, it's like, uh oh, <laughs> um, like, uh oh, that's life changing. But yeah, it was one like to live changed my life in so many ways. I met my husband there. I had my had my pregnancy. They wrote that in. Um, it was it was it was crazy. And I just thought it was never going to end. And so when it did end and I was devastated, I think it took me. I know that I'm sure if you did a, a psychological study of people that have played roles over 10 years or more, I mean, you, you can't be messed. I mean, you can't help but be messed up from it because I think I spent more time being Blair than I did Cassie during those times. Um, but it was, you know, I, I when it ended, it always I felt like, oh, my gosh, it's, this must be what it's like to have an affair and get caught, and not be able to see your lover again. <laughs> so it's like I can't go back and be I can't go back and be, you know, Blair. She was so empowering in certain ways. So it was it was an adjustment. I missed it. I missed that. Um, I miss that every day in and day out, picking up the script. I miss that family connection. I missed that. That character empowered so many people and it was powerful to play that and bring that to life. Mm -hmm. Well, if uh, the other two shows, one of the other two shows, Young and Restless or Bold and Beautiful came calling, would you be open to joining that cast? As you put your glasses on. <laughs> Would I be open to joining that cast? Absolutely. You know, I just feel like soap operas are what I'm supposed to do. It's it, you know, it's not for everybody. 
Um, and it is a difficult thing to the different. It's a different coat you put on. It's not because it's so fast. It's so furious, but it 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 suits my personality because it's also one and done. You know, you kind of do it and it's over with. And usually it, it, if you suck, it's not going to come back to haunt you because they don't do, you know, um, well, I guess now with YouTube, I guess it's down for life. But um, it's, you know, yeah, I would do another soap opera. I would do any form of soap opera. But, you know, I don't think soap operas are dead. I think every show out now on Netflix and anything streaming anything in a continue in a continuum like it is now with the series it, it, they're soap operas so they just don't do you know an hour a day every day right well i hope that we do see you whether it's in daytime whether it's streaming whether it's somewhere else um other than this little zoom right here we would <laughs> to see you doing something else cassie because it was great to see you back i'm looking forward to your general hospital appearances and hope there will be more down the line thank you so much and i really do appreciate all the love and fan support um hopefully we won't disappoint and we'll get that little spoon in that bowl and we'll stir a little bit up and we'll get some mixing up some good stuff Excellent. Well, it was so great catching up with you, Cassie. Hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Cassie DePaiva for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. Podcast.